If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. As gardeners, the cold weather and short days of winter can leave us feeling gloomy. But therapist and gardener Marcel Farrell shares how our gardens and other green spaces can be the perfect tonic at this time of year and why gardening in winter is so vital for our well-being. Miranda starts by asking Michelle why so many of us find winter so tough. And I think it has something to do particularly with the ways in which we have perhaps become a bit insulated and disconnected from the kind of natural cycles. I think we are mammals And we would probably ideally in winter want to slow down quite a bit, not hibernate, we're not hibernating animals, but, you know, go with the shorter days and sleep more and do a bit less and retreat a bit more. And actually the pace of modern life doesn't let up in winter. We have some of our busiest times and, you know, in midwinter we have Christmas, which is such a busy time of year for many of us if you have young families and so on. So I think we find ourselves going perhaps against what might be some of our natural instincts, for want of a better word. And I think that can lead us to feeling really quite tired and worn out. And all of that can add to making the season feel a bit more difficult. I think if we lean into winter, you know, if we kind of find a way to really embrace what winter's about with that darkness, with the cold, with the kind of dying back and the stillness and the retreat of a lot of the rest of the living world around us, if we kind of participate in that as well as much as we can, I think the season starts to feel a bit 
easier or, or, or we can embrace the joys of the kind of restfulness that can come with that. It's interesting you started by saying how we're sort of in this slightly artificial environment a lot mm. of the time. Do you think as gardeners we've got a, a, an advantage at being better in touch with ways that are going to help us feel better in terms of being outside and touching the ground and plants? Well, that is absolutely one of the privileges and joys that comes from having a garden. I think that does give us a head start <laughs> um, over people who aren't fortunate enough to have a space that they have that kind of routine and easy access to that having your own garden gives you because of course there are common outdoor spaces that we can mm -hmm. all participate in and enjoy but there is something about being able to potter into your own garden in your dressing gown and <laughs> pajamas on a you know on a bright winter's morning and make use of that fleeting wonderful light that's a bit harder to do if you have to get togged up and go out to kind of the nearest park so yes I think being gardeners gives us a helpful head start. And I think when you garden, you begin to notice and to pay attention. And I think that noticing and that paying attention to what's happening is actually a really important part of what can help with our mental states during this time of year. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned about sort of the advantage of having a garden. And I think I've only had a garden for five years. I'm, mm. I'm in my late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I lived lived in a city. What about those of us that don't have gardens? Is there, is there anything we can do? Is there a sort of gardening that's still going to help our well-being? And, and what would we do to maximise that, I suppose? Oh, absolutely. I've only had my garden in this country for three and a half years now. So for most of the 20 plus years, I'm going to be showing my age, <laughs> that I've lived in this country, I haven't had a garden of my own. And still, I have come round to gardening quite enthusiastically <laughs> in that period. I started with houseplants. Mm -hmm. I think that was my first way in. And it was really a way of reconnecting, I think, with my tropical heritage, kind of surrounding myself with tropical houseplants. And they are seasonal as well. You know, they grow more in the spring and the summer and they become a bit quieter in their growth in the in the winter if we let them. I mean, if you use grow lights and things, you can alter their conditions of growing. But I didn't I couldn't afford. <laughs> I didn't have those. They were seasonal in, in their behavior in our home. And then that was my kind of way in really. And then I started really noticing the kind of plants around me in the city. And they were literally the weeds in the cracks <laughs> at, uh, initially. But you know, I kind of started noticing. I remember the first one that caught my eye was, it's called Green Alconet. <laughs> and it has, uh, which is really odd because it's bright blue flowers. Yes. It's got these bright blue, tiny flowers with this bright yellow pinprick in the yes. middle. It's so eye-catching when you stop to notice it because it's tiny. It's really quite small. But a patch of it had come into flower right where we parked our car in this kind of communal car park that we had. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's so pretty. And then also being like, gosh, it's right in the like petrol exhaust <laughs> of our car. And yet it seemed to be just doing the most beautiful display. And that really kind of lured me in to start to no look down, really, while I was walking around in the city and kind of begin noticing well, what else is kind of growing in the cracks here? And starting to get curious about them and to get to know their names. And then, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor by training, so I became really curious about their medicinal properties. Mm. That was also one of the kind of first things that drew me in. 
you know, what's edible, what's herbal, what is it, you know, what might it be useful, what have people used it for? And then from that, I kind of started making little journeys out into green spaces nearby. So I discovered a little park near the hospital that I was working with at the time that I had not ever paid any attention to before. And yet it was there and it was beautiful and it had these trees and there were benches and I would go and sit there and eat my sandwich. And I got to, you know, I sort of went there most days. And from just going to a place regularly, you start to get to know it and to notice, oh, this comes into flower at this point in time. And, you know, oh, these things are growing in the shade over here, whereas something else is growing in a sunny spot. And for me, that felt like my way in really to a relationship with with plants and and nature and out of that curiosity we started gardening in pots we had a tiny patio which we then just filled up <laughs> with loads and loads of things in pots because there was there wasn't really any earth that we could plant into and took things from there really and so you know even in a very small space i mean our patio was maybe the size of a double bed you know it was really quite a small quite a small space and we would grow tomatoes out there and we had a climbing rose and you know i got really interested in well, I do love herbs and I love things that are herbal. So, you know, I got artemisia and mm. just try to pack the space with as much scent and color and life as possible. And then I started really itching for an actual garden <laughs> after doing that for a few years. And that that's what, you know, that was one of the things that prompted our move. Yes. And I think if you do have outdoor space, it's a, it's a very, it's a wonderful privilege, isn't it? But, yeah. But I agree with you. I sort of, before I had a garden, I could go on walks and there is something that happens in your brain, isn't there? I mean, what what is it? Why is it good? And why is it important in winter to be outside? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, winter can be a season of darkness for many of us. And I don't think that is necessarily a wholly bad thing. And I'm not talking here about, say, clinical depression or, you know, conditions that, um, you know, medical conditions that really Mm -hmm. do need support and help and treatment. I suppose I'm talking about the way in which winter can put us in touch with melancholy, you know, with sorrow, with what we think of as in, in psychotherapy as ordinary human sadness, which is separate from depression. But is it like low mood? Would that be, is that not quite the same? sorrow and a melancholy. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and the kind of death and d- decay of the world around us can put us in touch with loss and grieving and mourning and, and all of those things. And I think nowadays we tend to be a bit afraid of some of these mm. feelings that are, that feel a bit more difficult, that feel a bit more painful. But one of the things that I find that is really quite striking is that we we can't push away or suppress our emotions in isolation. So if we try to get rid of feelings that seem more difficult or more painful, if we try to ignore them um, or not pay attention to them, actually what we end up doing is kind of numbing all of our feelings. And so we numb our joy and our bliss, and our transcendence, and our ability to feel delight, and you know, all the wonderful things that we want, and that we would really love to tap into in the winter months, and to kind of keep us going. So really being able to feel all of our feelings is a gift. And I think that winter kind of offers us the gift of, 
being able to come in touch into touch with some of these darker feelings in a way that's natural because it's sort of there in mm-hmm. the, in the world around us it's literally there in the in the natural world around us and so in a way it can feel like more of a, a gentle i suppose um way in and you know the season waxes and wanes doesn't it so one of the things that happens when you're kind of paying attention to what's happening around you in winter is that you start to notice the signs that winter will pass. <laughs> it will, it will, this this too shall pass. One of my favorite times of the year, actually, and it, it surprises a lot of people because I'm from the tropics, you know, bright sunshine. People would think that summer would be my favorite time of year. But actually in this season's hair, one of my favorite points is the winter solstice. And the reason why I love it so very much is because of this kind of wonderful contradiction on that day. You know, you're at this point of the shortest day, the longest night. But that in itself heralds the fact that light is coming again, you know, and therefore every day thereon through all the greys of January and February, which I think so many of us struggle with, the days are longer. And you can remind yourself of that if you've kind of noted the winter solstice in some way. And being outdoors and being, you know, in the garden helps us with noting these these kind of points in the air, with these cyclical points in the air. And I think in the UK as well, there is a huge wax and wane, isn't a there? There's a huge wax and wane here. from the yeah. light ending at 4pm or something, isn't it, at, at lowest in, in a lot of the UK? Oh, it's massively, it's a huge difference, you know, very different from where I grew up, where I think there was maybe half an hour difference um, <laughs> <laughs> between the longest and the shortest days. You know, here it's many, many, many hours. And so a really, being outdoors and noticing what you know kind of what's going on in the garden is such a big help I think to notice to to reminding ourselves and noticing that you know this darkness that we're not stuck in it that we're going to move through it which of course is another sort of important lesson for our internal selves as well you know that we may find ourselves in periods of darkness but we're not necessarily stuck in them we can move through them and move into the light again we wax and wane in the same way that the world around us waxes and wanes so I love this and with <laughs> without turning this into my own personal therapy session yeah. I think what you said about um, if you try and numb those lower moments you numb the, the joy is really helpful because mm. I think sometimes the emotion I struggle with is the anger at being down mm. <laughs> I feel quite frustrated oh I'm feeling down I don't want to feel down and then there's the sort of a snow, snowball of emotion where I think if you know okay this is something that I have to have in order to have the better days and, and this is something that's going to pass oh absolutely I think making meaning of these right. um, of these more difficult periods is so important and I think they feel most difficult when they feel senseless <laughs> you know why do I feel so low it doesn't make sense and then you get caught up in the frustration of that and and you're right it kind of snowballs into a much bigger messier set of set of feelings whereas I think if we can you know view ourselves in the same way that we kind of view the natural cycles of the world around us and realize that we too have these periods of waxing and waning that life is made up of that and that we too can move through periods of darkness into light periods we can hold them a bit more lightly and that makes them I think a bit more bearable perhaps yes I I think the year can feel like it flies by but Mm. also can feel very long in the in the wetter, darker, harder bits. And maybe do you think either recognizing nature and enjoying nature through your senses, mm. or I would argue even better, 
engaging with it and nurturing it is a way of regulating. Do you think that's oh, something that's absolutely. Happening? And there's a huge amount of evidence for, I mean, I love this science. I, on one hand, I love it. And then on the other hand, I find it really funny that we need to have science to remind ourselves <laughs> that we're natural beings that need nature, if you see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're such funny creatures, humans, really. But um, yes, definitely, that helps hugely. And you said about smell, and smell is a really important oh. one. There's the delightful phenomenon, which I'm sure if people who garden will have heard about, about petrichor, that wonderful smell of the earth after it rains mm -hmm. and how good that is for us in so many different ways. You know, it, it doesn't just make us feel nice to smell it, but, you know, there's literally good bacteria, I think, that have been kind of released by the trees floating around in the air that's going to do good stuff for our immune systems and our guts as well as our moods. You know, so being outside and immersing ourselves in all of these things that are so beneficial to us is really important. And you said about coming into contact with the earth. I mean, my favorite winter gardening practice is mulching. Mm. <laughs> I love mulching. It's my favorite thing to do. I mean, our garden really needs it. So when we inherited our garden, it had quite a lot of beautiful hard landscaping, but there wasn't that much going on in the garden beds. And we had some very heavy compacted clay soil and so I just started mulching. That was the first thing that I started doing. And that's become my annual sort of winter ritual. I order up from a local kind of organic nursery, a big uh, dumpy, you know, those big bags of... of like a big ton bag. Yeah, yeah, of compost. And I make my way around the garden bucket by bucket. And I have to do it quite slowly because I tend to leave things standing over mm -hmm. winter. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of there on my hands and knees with my bucket and a, and a little kind of trowel and I'm distributing the mulch around what's still standing. Is it steamy? So, uh, it can be when it first <laughs> comes out, yeah, quite kind of warm. Mm. And the, all sorts of things then go and take up and hide away in yes. the back. And I have to apologize as I disturb them <laughs> when I'm getting my buckets out. So sorry, but I'm just going to go and put this in the garden now. And that really getting down on my hands and knees among the garden beds at winter, you know, you come into contact with the soil. You get, I get to have that experience of the soil bacteria. There's this wonderful soil bacteria that we now know raises the serotonin levels in <gasps> your brain, which is astonishing. So how do I get more of it? Just spend Just more time? Just by touching right. the soil, literally spending more time touching the soil. And it boosts your mood through having your skin come into contact with the soil. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But also because I'm down on my hands and knees so close to the soil, I'm getting those smells. You know, I'm, I'm getting the release of those wonderful chemicals of the earth. But I'm also noticing the things that things change as they happen. You know, I notice the primroses, you know, the first signs of their arrival. And our garden is wonderful primrose habitat. And when they kind of come into flower in January... It's just beautiful. And their scent, which is a thing that I had never noticed before. I never even, I never knew primroses had a scent. But because I'm down and I'm close in the garden, I can experience that and get and get to know that and get the full benefits of that. So if anyone's looking for winter gardening activity, that I think is one that's quite kind of mindful. Mm -hmm. It's really good for your garden soil. I mean, I think most soils benefit from mm -hmm. adding some organic matter to them. So, you know, you're benefiting your garden, you're benefiting your plants, which will love the feeding come this spring when they're growing. And you're benefiting yourself because that's the other thing. You know, we're part of nature. So what's good for 
the garden, what's good for nature, is also really good for us. It's a win-win for everybody involved. And you are a fan of scented plants. I love a scented (laughs) plant, yes. Do you think there's any reason that scented plants make us feel happier or better? What what is it about scented plants that's... I mean, I'm sure there's some science on that. I have to admit, I don't know the details. But what I do know is the really close link between our olfactory system, the, the way that our the nerves that our brains use to receive scent and the memory and emotion parts of our brains, ah. they're very, very closely linked. There's sort of a direct superhighway between your nose and those parts of your brain. And so, you know, scent is one of those things that can be so evocative. It can take you right back in time um, and it can make you feel, you know, it really puts you in touch with the feelings that you were feeling at that at that point in time. And so I really love having things in my garden that remind me of wonderful times. And even in the winter, that's possible. So right next to our front door, we have a viburnum and I'm going to make a hash of this. Bodnantensi. Yes. Dawn. That's yes. it. And the lovely little pink flowers. Lovely little pink flowers in the most gloomy and dismal time of year. You know, the whole the whole plant is bare, bare branches, and then there on the ends of them are these gorgeous little bouquets that smell so strongly. They're so highly scented. And it's this really lovely, warm, honeyed, kind of tropical scent that reminds me so much of my parents' garden growing up. So, you know, I think having these markers in our garden. Mm-hmm at wintertime particularly, can be so useful, so helpful. I mean, as well, I have the viburnum and then I have a Daphne that I planted mm-hmm. next to our front gate. And so that comes into flower ever so slightly after the viburnum, carrying on that scent. We have this gorgeous bank of winter heliotrope, mm. which I had never even heard of before we moved into this garden. Um, and it's the most unassuming looking thing most of the year. It's in a kind of shady, dark, difficult area that nothing else does so it it does kind of spread a bit but I'm happy to let it romp around in that part but again in like January it throws up these blooms that again smell so delicious they're just this beautiful kind of almost jasmine type scent well for for my nose and so it's delightful having these things in the garden and snowdrops I didn't know that snowdrops were scented yes so many of them are but then again when you kind of allow yourself to get down, you know, when I'm on my hands, it was being on my hands and knees mulching around them. (laughs) This is how I discovered that they had a scent. And as well as being these kind of beautiful, you know, harbinger of spring, you know, the kind of face bulbs that come up at the beginning of the year to let us know, ah, spring is on its way, that they also have this gorgeous smell as well. I think it's why it's lovely to see them in huge swathes. In huge drifts, yeah. You get more scent, don't you? I am multiplying the ones in my garden (laughs) every year. That's what I'm aiming for. It's lovely. And it makes me think not just about how, I think it's really interesting what you say about scent linking us to the past, Mm. but I sort of want to make memories to make me happy in the future or make Mm. other people happy in the future. And I think there's so many, you mentioned some of the lovely winter flowering and I like um, winter sweet and... Mm. um, so many nice winter scented plants. I almost want to plant one like with my daughter. So I can think in 10 years time, if she's on her own and she's feeling low and it's December and maybe I'm not there or something, she can smell that and there's there's an access to a memory of happiness. Oh, absolutely. And I love the way that gardening does that actually. I always feel like when I'm in the garden, I step into a special sort of time where you're in the present 
but you're also in the past because the things that are flowering or blooming or fruiting now are as, are as a result of whatever week you did mm-hmm. in the garden a few months ago. And you're also always thinking towards the future. You know, it's always sort of like, well, if I tend this now, I'm tending this now for something that's coming next, you know. So there's this wonderful overlap of past, present and future that happens in every moment in the garden, which I really love. And yeah, I mean, I I I have done that very thing as well. We've planted a winter honeysuckle, winter yes, flowering honeysuckle lovely. in our garden. And I did it with the children, you know, with the hope that in years to come, the scent of that honeysuckle will remind them of being happy in the garden with with me, hopefully. <laughs> Not just bored. <laughs> Mum was always dragging us out. Yeah. I wanted to play with my Lego. Yeah. <laughs> she had me in the winter mud in the garden. But there's, there's obviously the option in summer, but it almost feels more poignant to pick those winter-scented plants to make memories for happiness or to support our happiness almost instantly. Oh, absolutely. And I think there's something about the way the garden gets stripped back in winter that can make these plants feel, you know, they stand out so much more. Um, and so they they seem to carry so much more weight, I think, in the winter garden. Whereas in summer, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much life. There's so many things competing for your attention. Whereas I think you can really appreciate some of these plants in the kind of quiet of the rest of the winter garden. And you've described the garden as a holy creative sanctuary. Mm. Would you like to open up on that a little bit, why you see it as such a space? The garden for me is hugely linked with creativity. I became a writer through living in a garden, really. And it's really interesting. I mean, the book that I've written was sort of born out of this garden. It's kind of co-created by this space. But I had a time in my life previously where we rented a house with a garden for a couple of years. And actually, I had a little flourishing in in a creative writing practice at that point as Mm -hmm. well. And I only noticed that retrospectively, kind of looking back when I kind of started writing this book. And I was like, ah, yes, there's something about living with a garden that for me really brings out this creativity and this creative practice. But of course, the garden is a that is exactly what it is it is it is literally a hotbed of creativity you know new life is being created in the garden all the time and not just life of course and i suppose that's what happens in winter time in our temperate gardens there's also death you know mm-hmm. quite a lot is is dying back there's quite a lot of decay happening and you know, for many of us thinking about those topics can be, you know, they are, they're spiritual, you know, kind of thinking about what does it mean? What does it mean to have a life? <laughs> what impact might we want to leave of our lives when we die? You know, what what legacy might we, what might we, what seeds would, will we sow? Mm-hmm. But I think not noticing the way that what has died in the garden, what ends up being composted, what then goes on to feed the new life of spring. You know, we wouldn't have the new life of spring without the death and decay of of winter in the garden. And so for me, that's just such an important thing to notice and to remind myself of. And it it keeps me in touch with my humanity. Yeah, so so it it feels really important. You know, a space that can be in some ways um, 
Because gardening can can sometimes feel a bit trivial, can't it? You know, <laughs> <gasps> listeners, cover your ears now. <laughs> <laughs> it can be dismissed a little bit, yes, I think. Yes. Um, a, a bit like cooking might be. And exactly. It's hugely important to exactly. ourselves, to our communities, our families, but we take it for granted, right? It is literally a vital act. I've saved for you us. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have. You have. I know what. No, I completely know what you mean. There's something quite repetitive that can be that there are things potting on seed sowing can feel very similar can't it or well I suppose I guess I'm thinking of my own attitudes perhaps to gardens and gardening before I had kind of really developed a re-interest mm-hmm. in them you know where I kind of thought it was a preserve of the middle-aged I am now middle-aged oh you're not <laughs> I had a vision of what gardening was and who it was for which of course now that I do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I realize is not the case at all and, and you know I've come to understand exactly how vital it is for us I think that's lovely I've got I've got a few little bits to give you don't get oh, too excited oh you talk about joy and mm. I really enjoyed and it comes back a little bit to holy because I really enjoy the sort of spiritual I think whether you're religious or not I think gardens are spiritual they are I find a lot of comfort and I understand you find a lot of comfort and I really enjoyed what you said about cosmos. Oh. Because I think it's one of the loveliest plants to grow. It's it's easy to grow. It is. I don't think it takes sort of expertise. But it is, I think you've described it in Uprooting Your Book as a little piece of heaven in mm. the garden. So. Oh, thank you so much for these seeds. <laughs> this is beautiful. And this is purity, which is the only type of, I mean, it's not the only type of cosmos. There are many types of cosmos, but I have not tried to grow this one oh, yet, brilliant. actually. So I thank you so much. This is beautiful. I've got some more seeds as well because it brings me on to a practical question for you, Mm. which is things we can do in winter (laughs) to start thinking. When I was looking in our cupboard, I was trying to find seeds that can be sown quite early on in the year because I know for me, and I know you're careful the word hope, which I like, Mm. and I have to explain that a little bit. I'll ask you to explain that a little bit, why the word hope we have to be careful with. It's fraught, isn't it, a little bit? Yes, I think, you know, if you go by the dictionary definition of it, it's quite a passive term. Okay. And it comes with this sort of expectation of good, which I think you have to be in quite a privileged position already to be able to hope that passively something good is going to come to you. Happen to you. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I prefer to see hope as a kind of active stance. Right. Um, and something that you engender in the world through your actions, you know, that you literally grow it into being through the things that you do. Yeah. My plants are so lovely. And yeah. disclaimer, I'm not suggesting anyone start sowing their cosmos <laughs> in mm. in winter. But um, there's some, some salad, some chilies. I mean, is thinking about what you're going to grow next year something you do in the winter? Or? Oh, absolutely. And I don't have a greenhouse, so I have definitely uh, fallen into the trap of sowing some things <laughs> too early, which then languish um, on a windowsill <laughs> for a very long time before they can go outside. But yes, I really love sowing micro herbs. Yes. Particularly with the children. It's such an easy thing that you can do. You know, it doesn't take up a lot of space. We do it on our dining table and then we can literally pick the bits off and put them in our meals and eat them. And you get this lovely freshness of new life and new growth 
in the middle of winter, which is just such a delightful thing to do. So I that's something that I try to do every year and I love it. Another thing that I do so quite early on is, oh, and I'm going to forget the name, Cobia. Cobia right. Scandens. Yes. Um, it's a climber, isn't it? It's yeah. a climber. And they say that you need to sew it in January. <laughs> I mean, I haven't actually tried sewing it, sewing it later. But I love having that ritual mm. of uh, of sewing my cobia every every January. I think this is the thing. When we're doing gardening on whatever size space or wherever we're doing it, there is a ritual we're creating, isn't there? There's a tradition that we're creating, right, yes. that we can come round to. And as you mentioned, like with the solstices, things that we know we're going to revisit. And if it goes wrong, it doesn't matter, does it, and come back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> creating traditions, I think, is so important and so meaningful, um, particularly with, you know, with my children. Because as you said about making memories, mm-hmm. you know, these are the things that I would like, that I would hope that they will remember as they grow up. And that I hope will keep them grounded, you know, kind of whatever changes in the world around them that they will remember. Ah, yes, it's December the 21st now and it's the winter solstice. And, you know, mum would always take us up to the long barrow and we would have some hot chocolate and cinnamon buns as the sun came up, which is our which is our new tradition where we live now. And, you know, they may live somewhere different, but hopefully they'll remember that ritual and remember that day and mark it in some way and it'll have a meaning for them. And it'll remind them to look outside. Yes. (laughs) And to come into contact with what's happening in the cycles of the rest of the natural world around them and and reconnect them and reground them to that. I mean, I was going to say, we've got artificial intelligence becoming more prominent. We're in a world of potentially deep fakes and all the rest of it. Mm. I mean, do you feel that the very physical actuality and reliability of growing plants is increasingly important in that sort of world that we're in and the next generation are coming into? I absolutely do, you know. And I think it's a bit of a trope now, isn't it, about gardening is good for your mental health. And of course, it absolutely is. And, you know, there's so so much evidence for it. And I sort of laughed earlier at us needing evidence for it. But I kind of flip that on its head, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that more than gardening being good for our mental health, what's happened is that we have lost our way as a kind of species, really, in the kind of modern age. And we've become more insulated and disconnected from the rest of the natural world that we're a part of. And that in that disconnection and in that forgetting of ourselves as natural animals in the world, we've gone a bit mad. And so I think if we see it from that perspective, it really puts it much more profoundly, I think. It really clarifies exactly why it's so vital that we find a way to get outside and put our hands in the dirt, <laughs> you know, that we find a way to notice that the daylight hours are changing, that we find a way to notice the first bloom of the year, mm-hmm. you know, and and notice, you know, the warm day when a bumblebee has come out to, to feed. You know, I think understanding that without that, you know, as, as a species, <laughs> we have we've gone a bit insane. And that hopefully by finding our way back to that, we can find our way back to a kind of sane wholeness and wellness um, for ourselves. So, yeah, I think it is massively important. And I think from what you're saying, winter might 
be the best time possibly to get in touch with nature. It sounds like it's a time of contrast. It's mm. a time of fewer but more intense things. You've got highly scented flowers, haven't you? You've got fewer plants, but they're gems. I mean, is this a they good time are. of year to, to find and make remake that connection for people? I think it is. I think that the beauty of winter when it comes can feel so much more extreme, I suppose, for the contrast to the grey and the cold and the darkness. And one of the wonderful bits of science that I love about how being in nature can kind of help us in our mental states is around the science of awe, how feeling awed by the natural world does things to our sense of, of well-being. You know, it makes us kinder. We're literally kinder to other people around us when after we've experienced awe. And there's nothing more awesome, certainly for me, than, say, waking up to a clear, bright winter's morning, you know, or or spotting just like a beautiful snowdrop when it's been a really kind of dismal grey day. I think it, it, it highlights those emotions for us. So, yeah, I think winter is a beautiful time to kind of start a practice of, of mindfulness in nature if you kind of haven't been been doing so already you know I, I think it can feel less overwhelming perhaps thanks for listening to the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app